I've always said empathy is a strategic competitive advantage for financial brands in a digital world, but can a financial brand really be an empathetic brand in the age of AI? That is what we're going to find out together in today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Uday Akaraju to the show. Uday is the CEO of Bond.ai who built the world's first empathy engine along with the Bond Network, a first of its kind network for financial brands and employers to truly connect people together with their money. And today we're going to do a deep dive into empathy in the age of AI because I'm curious, is empathy, is empathy even possible in the age of AI or is empathy a key strategic competitive advantage for you, for your financial brand, for your bank, for your credit union? Well, let's find out together. Welcome to the show, Uday. It is good to share time with you today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, James. I'm in uh, episode 301, so I had to wait 300 episodes to be on your show. Great, but glad to be here, finally. Well, it is it is a good way to start the next 100. And, you know, if, if I look back and it's like, you know, wow, here we are, 301. We're about two and a half years into this experience. And if I look back, it's all about, it's people. It's conversation, it's dialogue, it's discussion. And that's why I think today is going to be a really great way to start this next 100 episodes off as we're you know moving towards 400 episodes. But before we get too far into empathy and empathy in the age of AI, what is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It's always your pick to get started on a positive note. The good thing right now, I mean, uh, like you said, empathy and all that stuff is really embedded in my DNA because I have a human-centered design background. It's always been about people. It's always been about empathy. But I think you're seeing the real effects in the real world that everybody is caring about everybody. COVID was an accelerator uh, because yeah. we actually got back into the zone where okay, now we really have to empathize what others feel. We really have to address their needs. So I think there's a lot of positivity around in the community, in the world at this moment. I think that should sustain for a long time. I was uh, ha- having another conversation uh, with Lee Richter, who's also in this AI space. And, you know, when we look at the, uh, the, the, the pendulum, if you will, of time, she was referencing a book. It's almost like the pendulum has swung from the, the, the me, if you will, it's all about me to now it's swinging back to the we and this idea of community. And, and when you talk about human centered design, I think about human centered growth um, at more of a macro level. And I want to come back to this point of empathy. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, it really is about people. And how would you define 
empathy and and more maybe specifically how would you define empathy in the age of ai is it is it different is it the same where are we at today so i think empathy is i mean everybody it's been used as a buzzword right now yeah exactly but really empathy is is so hard that characteristic having empathy is not easy i mean it's not sympathy right you can no. feel bad for somebody but empathy is really really putting yourself in their shoes it's hard it's hard i mean you cannot empathize with say for example you right james i don't you know even if i know something about you i don't know any much about your life your personal life what do you do and all that stuff it's unless i experienced your life yeah. like you i cannot really empathize for that you really have to have a tremendous amount of data points so in the age of ai i think we are a little definitely a little far but we are not that far so empathy in the age of ai can be possible absolutely that's why we created the world's first empathy engine to get that process started well you 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 did that because you believe that there's a growing empathy gap and in this empathy gap it's costing financial brands millions if not trillions of dollars so with that in mind what is the empathy gap to begin with and and why is it important to pay attention to this empathy gap and i mean simple words right today like you wrote in your book 85% of the people today in the us are financially stressed so there is a reason right i mean 85% is a, not a small number no. so there are needs of people which these institutions are not able to take care of and 85% is a huge gap and when we quantified it okay when we based on our clients and our data we have it's a trillion dollar opportunity it's more than I mean, it's like a 35 trillion dollar opportunity which these financial institutions are missing just because they're not able to understand the needs and not able to communicate to those needs well that that that's where there's a cost because you know if we're not able to communicate to the needs back to the point you you did a study you found that this empathy gap uh, extrapolated out it's costing 34 trillion 35 trillion dollars which is to be honest it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around what is 34 35 trillion dollars what does that even look like to begin with in the first place and so i i want to make the cost if you will the cost of the empathy gap even more tangible for the dear listener because you did a study for a billion dollar community institution and you found that uh, on, on around 1500 customers the empathy gap is costing them 2.3 million so that w- averages what about $1500 per customer i think that's a little bit easier to understand at a micro level like okay let's say i have um 10,000 customers um now i can put a dollar to that of what empathy or the empathy gap is is costing how do we break this down this this cost of the empathy gap it goes down to breaking the needs of them right so understanding the needs of them for that you the bank or a credit union has to communicate first mm. of all that's broken there is not even in this generation unless and until you walk into a branch there is no communication channel between the user and the institution okay second step if you have that channel established you can understand those needs so we have the communication channel so that's why i think when we started the company we created this communication channel so we are able to talk to the consumers on the banks we have so we are able to understand the needs and we actually quantify between what their needs are and what the bank is actually doing for them and not doing for them like you said for a smaller bank 
we see that day in and day out. Right, a bank like a billion dollar bank, the empathy gap was about two point three million only for fifteen hundred consumers. So that that institution had twenty thousand customers. So imagine, just for if you even forget about empathy and all that stuff, it is a lot of revenue lost. Yeah. So it, I mean, the bank absolutely cares about the revenue, but why not make money while helping the consumer? That's a win-win. Yes. And and back to your point you mentioned it's really more deeply rooted in communication. Like this empathy gap is a communication gap. Let's dive deeper into where the communication gap is. I've, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that coming out of the whole, you know, recent financial crisis and a, a couple of these bank failures in the, in the United States. And I'm saying, okay, well, there's definitely a confidence crisis uh, when it comes to financial services but that is more deeply rooted in a communication crisis. So we're speaking maybe a common language here. You yeah. might have be looking at this from a little bit of a different angle. Where where do you think the communication gap is today and why? I mean, if, if you actually literally speak, there is no communication. The bank is, commu- it's, it's all one way. The banks and credit unions basically are communicating what they have. Mm. It's been like that since the banking began, right? They're yeah. communicating what they have, but it's not a two-way process. It right. is a two-way process only if it is proactive, yes. or if it's reactive from the consumer. Consumer comes for a loan, this, and you, then basically they shop around, and then you provide some options. But I think it has to be embedded in the system that even without a need of a product, even without a need of being reactive, the banks need to be proactive in communication. Not sending you an email or a mail, but saying you need this credit card. That's not what we need even in this generation. You know, you, I, I wrote to that in Banking on Digital Growth and how that is really kind of a uh, a philosophy rooted in broadcast. One too many messaging, communication patterns, styles, strategies, etc., but when we look at today's hyper-connected digital world, particularly through the lens of social media, it, it comes down to dialogue. It comes down to discourse and discussion because it is through that type of communication, that two-way, that back and forth, that's how we get to better understand where other people have been, where they are, and where they're looking to go forward into the future. And when you think about empathy in the age of AI, particularly through the lens of financial services, what's a common misconception? Maybe it's not just empathy. Now it it might also be communication because I can see how they're interconnected here. What's a common misconception that financial brand leaders might have around empathy and or communication that, that you would disagree or maybe provide another perspective around on? I mean, just to be pragmatic, right? I mean, it's not the gap. I think probably they know it. I mean, it's they're too much buried under the pressure of targets and goals, revenue, and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, they care. If you talk to the bankers, they absolutely care. But the thing is, all these, uh, whatever you say, the sales or marketing or all these targets basically overburden them. I think they have to break that bubble. They have to break that cycle. They have to just adopt a new approach. Like you're talking about exponential approach, right? Yeah. It's not about instant gratification. It's about sustainable growth. It's about sustainable help, what we can do to our consumers. 
That's a, that's a fantastic point. The idea of sustainability here, because historically, when we think about communication through the lens of, of marketing and sales within financial services, it's like we need to raise deposits. So we're going to go out and we're going to you know do this push and then we need to raise loans. And so we're going to go out and do that. But when you're looking at more of a sustainable long term model, you mentioned that bankers feel that way. Credit union leaders already feel that way. They care. They care. What holds them back, though, from you know making that that leap from actual caring and then applying this new thinking of sustainable growth going forward into the future? You wrote it in your book, one of the fear, right? It's one of those fears mm. of going from a safer path to taking a newer path, right? So it's there. It, it's, it's culturally there, I think, one, but I think the thing is, it's starting to happen. If you start seeing some institutions, some banking leaders take that bold approach, I think it will be a domino effect. But I mean, in, in the age of regulation, it's very hard. Somebody needs to step up. Somebody. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. Why do you do what you do every day and why have you been doing it to help other people and to help these financial brand leaders what what is the driving force there for you personally oh in short i went through a financial crisis okay like i said i'm from india came to the u.s uh so when you come as an immigrant i think you don't get much help right forget about getting help you don't have a credit score to start with so when you don't have a credit score to start with imagine the life you have to come right so yeah and then on top of it you have a financial crisis uh, i was having a good paycheck don't get me wrong but again something happened there and there was a financial crisis so not having a credit score and being in a financial crisis is a beautiful recipe for collapse <laughs> yeah. and i went to my credit unions i went to my community banks no everybody wanted to help but nobody could help right i was the only person basically sitting with my wife and had to figure out a strategy to come out of it so essentially i had to empathize with my own self and my behaviors and my patterns to come out of it so that that happened 18 months down the line had a great success story came out i even had enough money to invest in this business so that was that i said this happened to me probably it can happen to anybody did a study uh, for a 20000 sample size and realized more than 80% have the same issue most of them are are on the edge. Something happens, they will have a serious issue, right? Like say you're eighty five percent. So it's just not about empathizing with somebody. It's not about insights. Right now we are actually speaking during the financial literacy month. I always say financial literacy has been great, but it has not caused any significant tangible outcomes. The problem with that is you can give insights, but if you cannot fulfill those insights the last mile, it's again a big failure. So you have to empathize and you also have to empathize in a way that you can actually help them fulfill that. You're speaking to this challenge around financial literacy. I've been speaking out against that. And it's a, there's, re, there's some recent research that is showing how financial literacy historically could in fact be 
creating more harm than good because it gives people a sense of false confidence. I, I liken this to healthcare. It's like, you know, whenever I have a symptom, where do I go? I go to Dr. Google. Uh, I Google my symptoms um, and I self-diagnose. Uh, and then I realize that I am not an expert. I actually probably need to go see a physician. And sometimes I'm right. And it feels good. There's that confirmation bias. And then there's sometimes that I'm like way off and it makes me feel good because I've completely misdiagnosed myself and I, I'm going to live, you know, another hundred plus years. Um, but, but when it comes to, you know, financial services and savings and loans and investments, just because you read an article or listen to a podcast, I, I think it could give some like false confidence that could create more danger going down the line. And this is the opportunity for financial brands, banks and credit unions to step in as a resource to not just provide that insight, but to provide that true real guidance beyond the pains of the present moment to create a bigger future what do you think needs to happen for that to become a reality um, in today's present moment? You, that's a great example you gave about the healthcare stuff, right? So something happens to us, you said, we go to Google, we search, we have a lot of information. Sometimes you actually diagnose it, right? Sometimes you say it's a cancer and you freak out. Right. But, but the thing is, you get a lot of information, but eventually most of them decide, okay, I need to go to a specialist or a physician, okay? Let's take the same thing in banking. First of all, you do not have a Google for finance or you, you, you do not have enough information to search for a solution for a problem. Problem number one. Second is, okay, you decide to go to a physician like in banking. Who is it? No, nobody. Right? So it's, it's a straightforward, I mean, it's a basic common sense there. You don't have even basic resources to search and somebody to address. If you have to go to a, a financial advisor, that's a totally different level. We are talking about people living paycheck to paycheck. We are talking about living, like you and me, I mean, basic stuff, living life like normal. We don't have anybody to go. So that's a problem. So the question you asked is, I think banks need to be that champion. Why can't they create one champion or some advisor, a financial advisor at these branches who I can go and talk? It's not something out of the ordinary. And that's a foundational element they have to adopt. It's interesting to think about and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Like you said, you had this this catalyst, this dark night of the soul um, where you got into a really challenging, tough situation. I've been there myself. Um, in, in 2012, my wife came to me and I've spoken about this on the podcast many times. She said, it's the business or it's the family. But the ironic thing was, is the business was extremely successful but I was personally in a very bad place and we had just had our second child and I knew that I needed help. And so I made some really big and bold decisions back then um, that almost cost me the business um, to save the family kind of a thing. And and we, we, you know, we, we probably were close to half a million dollars in debt uh, at that point. It takes a toll on you mentally. It takes you a toll on you physically. It takes a toll on you emotionally. And here we are talking about, you know, emotions and feelings, um, the, the, the softer things of life. Do you think it's a challenge for some financial brand leaders to have that level of discussion? Because if we're talking about empathy, it's going to closely coordinate correlate with with emotions and, and feelings yeah it's it's not everybody's cup of tea 
Yeah. Right. It's it's like I said, the word empathy is unless, like you said, you've been through that situation. That's why you're doing this. I've been yeah. through the situation. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> If you have not been through that situation, you won't understand the level of importance of that thing. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. I mean, that's it's it's a double-edged sword with empathy. You can have empathy, but you cannot have empathy unless you experience that. Right. Right. And 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 I think that is one reason I'm 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 really working to at least create a a platform or a community to open up that softer intangible conversation around feelings and emotions through the lens of money because money is it's so emotional. Um it's so energetic to a degree that if you haven't had the experience like you have had or I have had it is hard to quote unquote empathize with that. I also do think about um someone and I and I don't want to say her name. She she's been a guest on this podcast and she's doing fantastic work. She's the VP of marketing for about a billion dollar institution and she has shared a, a public story. Um she she's you know they're 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 doing not just financial literacy but they're getting to the financial coaching and in workshops she talks about her own money struggles um that she has had over the years and i'm curious it's like you know perhaps within financial services there's also not just the double edged sword uh but but maybe some imposter syndrome too that you know i'm struggling financially but i work in banking does that make me a bad person um uh, what's your take on that to where there's maybe an imposter syndrome and does that prevent us from leaning into maybe some more of these difficult conversations yeah maybe absolutely i mean but may, maybe it should not be it should be the other way around if you're actually having difficulties i mean in, in that scenario i think it should be the opposite i think you should go all out and say help others and also figure a way out yeah yeah i mean it should be that way but you cannot you cannot expect that i mean for example like i said like you were saying uh about empathy it starts with communication Mm. right so unless so it need not be detailed con- conversation for example there's so many bots out there in these um, banks right i mean you have bank of america us everybody has and we have bot too but the first question we ask on our bot is how can we help you as mm. simple as that that simple question rather than saying good morning or what is my routing number what is my account number how can we help what what do you need today yeah. simple as that Imagine the number of data points you get. People just type, "Okay, I need this help. I'm paying 200% interest on this. I need some consolidation. I need something." I mean, the kind of needs you will see in such kind of data will open up your eyes, your hearts, and everything. I think back to 2008, 2009. We were working with a community financial brand. We were advising them. and they wanted to do something completely different with their marketing and sales and i could see how an empathy engine would have created exponential value back then because essentially we created a campaign it was called operation erase my debt and it sent everyone to a landing page and all it asked was for a first name last name email address didn't even ask for a phone number and then it said how can we help you erase your debt and it was an open field and had we had ai and machine learning back then the patterns that we would have been able to pull out of that type of a data point yeah. would have been oh my goodness exactly that's a great great example what you said that's that's all we need today we need not overcomplicate 
How with can... AI now and what you had done that point of if you can implement those systems in today's banks that's all it that's all it takes how can we help how can we help um it, it but also we kind of just you know as, as we're kind of essentially creating in real time together one other thing that I've been thinking about is almost like the feelings and emotion spectrum it's like how are you feeling today about your your money how are you feeling today about your financial situation and that connects back to some research that came out of frost bank that looked at the correlation between a person's optimistic outlook in their financial well-being and they found that you know optimists are more financially healthy than pessimists are and and there it comes back to that that other point around coaching um and not just providing the literacy or the the education or the knowledge but providing the coaching that I, I would say maybe helps to transform a person's relationship with money over a period of time, since all of that is connected into our earliest you know, days of you know, formation. And you wrote an article, and, and I'm gonna quote you. You said, in times of uncertainty, and we're in uncertain times right now for sure, right? You said, in times of uncertainty, people come back to a trusted source for now, Banks hold their positions as dependable experts, but it's down to them to use their existing strengths. One simple thing they need to remember, it's not about technology, it's about the customer, end quote. It's this idea of expertise. How do you feel banks are and credit unions are around positioning that expertise, communicating that expertise? Is there an opportunity to, to do more? Oh, I think there's a whole lot there's a huge opportunity in communication for on the banking side. There is literally, I think you haven't even touched the surface because what banks can do if they can really communicate well is, I mean, unimaginable, right? So the only reason I said in terms of uncertainty, you go to a trusted, so you become a trusted source only if you can communicate that you can be the trusted source, right? right. People have to trust you. You have to show your knowledge so that's how you need to do it. I see some CEOs I mean, of credit unions and community banks actually doing that on LinkedIn, which is fantastic to see, yeah. right? I mean, that's what is needed. When you talk about community banks in the local community, that's what they need to do in the local community. Yeah. I mean, James, I mean, you know this, I know this. Communication is the weakest link of the banking system today. Yeah. What would your recommendation be for, and it might be, um, a leader who is listening, a lender who is listening, someone in marketing, and they're like, yes, I I, I will humbly admit that we could do a, an even better job at communicating our expertise, not just promoting another product or another rate, but really communicating the expertise. What would your recommendation be to them to begin to move down that path around quote unquote banking on expertise. Yeah, we're talking about exponential and radical approaches. So let me take give a take. So I think they should basically stop communicating from their side and start asking from the consumer side. They have so much material built, there's so much material, they just bombard it on the consumer side, right? right. It's not necessary, it's a waste of time, effort and money. Rather yeah. just do the opposite for once. Right. And it automatically starts triggering everything because even if you address like a 1% of your consumer's needs when you start asking, that's a significant benefit, not just in terms of uh, intangible, but also tangible bottom line. 
And the best way to ask, I'm going to come back to the question that you use when framing uh, the work that you're doing. What's that one question? It's so simple. Yeah. What do you need today? That's it. It has to be specific. It cannot be, how can I help? It goes into more abstract terms, but I think be specific. What do you need today? Today, they might not need it. Tomorrow, they might not need it, but they will remember that question. When they need it, they'll come back to you. Yeah. And, um, and just once again, kind of co-creating in real time here for, for the dear listener to take some action around. Imagine if you were to go and send an email out uh, to all of your account holders or to all of your members and you were to ask them, um, what do you need today or how can I help or how can we help or what questions might you have about X, Y, or Z and you create an inventory and then prioritize around that. Well, that becomes your communication uh, template and you create content to communicate that back out and, and distribute it. And I think this is the key. It's meeting people where they are. Um, it, that's, a, that's a key point of communication because if we're communicating through email, but we're not doing an effective job of communicating, say, through social media and not at a brand level, but at an individual leader level level. I think about, for example, Patty Asai, who has been on the podcast and she has amassed almost, she's a commercial lender out of Los Angeles and has amassed almost uh, a million followers on TikTok. She's meeting people where they are to answer their questions. What does it take? <laughs> I think this is the, this is the key to build the courage to then commit to that type of a communication cadence, not from a brand level, but from a leader or from a lender level? I mean, when you ask that question, I mean, it automatically, you automatically see those needs, right? Which actually transform into, okay, I need 25 of this product. I need 105 of this product. And you can actually, it's a simple Excel. Okay, now you say, okay, all of this put together, this is what I'm going to get. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So I don't want to talk about my company and my product, but I think, that's what we do. I mean, just we talk to a bank, immediately we show what they need. So, but I think it's as simple as that. I think if they can do it, they can see it on the right in front of them and then start addressing it. And addressing for them is the is not the problem here. For them, like, you know, right? I mean, sourcing is a problem. And why don't you just start asking? I mean, Silicon Valley Bank is a great example. Like going, going back to SVB because it's a hot topic. The customer base was so good, right? They trusted mm -hmm. They love the brand. The mistake what happened was they heard about this chaos through a third party, through a social yeah. media or something like that. If they had this communication channel direct with their consumers, this would not have happened. Because everybody, even now, I love SVB. Everybody loves SVB. But we have the fear of somebody told me something. Yeah. But if I heard directly from SVB, it would have been a different story. And that's the idea of using these exponential communication channels to communicate courage to communicate confidence and that calms people's minds in times of chaos but you can't wait for the chaos to happen to start using the communication channels you got to start using the communication channels now. long before there's chaos absolutely um and i think that's right there that's the opportunity that's the commitment that anyone who's listening can make is to begin to explore and i i would say look within yourself of what is holding me back from utilizing LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram to communicate with people in my community. And I think that's the beauty of it is you can 
come down to a local community level. It doesn't have to be at a macro level. Or if you're a community and it's vertical based, that's even that much better because you get more reach and, and a larger field. But it's what is holding me back from making the commitment to communicate courage, confident, to share my knowledge and expertise with other people. And maybe that, that's, like, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to wrap up because we're talking about knowledge and expertise and how that plays into the empathetic lens and the conversation and communication. I'm curious if financial brand leaders, lenders, advisors are aware and even value the expertise that they have to share in the first place, or do they take it for granted? Because it's what they do. Great point. Yeah, they might be taking it for granted, or they might be having that fear of expression, right? So I think, yeah, that needs to be broken down. So again, going back, communication needs to happen. If it starts the engine, doesn't matter, don't uh, care about perfection. It's always progress over perfection, and communication will happen. That's I love that. What a, what a fantastic way to wrap this up. Progress, not perfection. It's a key theme that, that I speak and teach and write about here. Speaking about progress, let's look ahead towards the future. Um, what are you feeling most hopeful, excited and energized about? Because right now we, you know, if we, if we just focus on the present, it's, yeah, it's chaotic and it's a little bit crazy. I'm like, well, this is only a period of time. It's a snapshot. As we look ahead towards the future, I'm always looking for something to be even better than what it is right now. What is that for you? What are you excited and energized about looking towards the future? I mean, I'm excited because I think everything is going back to the consumer now. I think yes. it's, it's forced in a way because of the, of the disruptions and the uncertainties that are happening. People are listening to the consumer. Be it be data privacy, you see what's happening from Apple's Facebook side. I mean, they lost okay. $10 billion just because of that Apple's update. So everything is going back to the consumer. Regulations are going back to the consumer. I think that's what I'm excited about. If you put the consumer in control, you need not worry about anything else. Put the Like we always say, right, in human-centered design, put the people in the center. It used to be yes. a buzz line, but it's now happening. Yeah, that, That's put, what I'm excited about. Put people at, all, at the center of all of your thinking, Put people at the center of all of your doing and everything will work out for the good. Uday, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your passion, your story. What is the best way for someone to reach out to you to connect, to continue the discussion that we started here today? Yeah, we speak about communication. So anytime I'm active on LinkedIn, Twitter, or email, I mean, I can share my email with the link. So anytime, please feel free to reach out. I'm available all the time. And I can, I mean, like you said, I can be your trusted source if you have any financial difficulty. <laughs> highly, highly recommend <laughs> connecting with, with you for sure. Connect with you today. Learn with him. Grow with him. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a fantastic conversation today. Absolutely. Thanks, James. It was fantastic talking. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.